The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to On the Farm, a journalist podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamont Gibson. We're back after the Memorial Day holiday with a new episode of OTF. Today we're talking about rookie ball or complex leagues, however you like to refer to it. Along with Dominican Summer League, they will have started their new season by the time you're hearing this podcast. So today's episode is going to be a preview of 10 names to know in Arizona, Florida, and the DR. But before we get into the main topic, of course, it is time for our prospect rundown. Kicking us off is going to be Caleb Killian. Yesterday made his Major League debut for the Cubs through five innings, giving up three runs on three hits with two walks and six Ks. I've been a fan of Killian's for a while. Um, Any chance I get, I always talk up his Fall League, his uh, Arizona Fall League Championship game start. From last year, it was so fun to watch. He was in full command that night, um, almost through a no-hitter. It was it was really awesome. This is a really matured pitcher. Um, one thing it's important to remember is he came over from the Giants system as part of the Chris Bryant trade. So he actually had been looking very good for um, San Francisco before he was even traded at both um, high A as well as double uh, A right at the time he was traded. So he was actually a key piece of that uh, trade as the Cubs were looking to kind of kickstart their pitching um, pipeline, because of course they tend to have uh, some trouble when it comes to developing their own pitcher. So they kind of went out, sniped uh, another team's kind of top prospect or one of their um, top prospects to kind of help kickstart that. And we're seeing it come to fruition. He came to uh, Chicago last season as part of that trade and uh, continued uh, being really strong, going up to AAA. And this season, he had continued that and finally got his call, um, his promotion up to the big leagues. I don't see much competition um, pushing him out of the rotation as the Cubs kind of continue this sort of half rebuild sort of thing that they have going on. So I'd advise if you're a manager in 14 teamers, um, uh, not, not anything smaller than that, because I think the pool would be big enough that you don't have to go necessarily right at Killian right now, but 14 team, uh, 16 team, that's, that's about the right size where I'd say you want to grab him if he's still on the wire. 
Um, if he, you're in a league larger than that 16 teamer, he's probably already gone. And redraft folk, I'm trying to get you all kind of more incorporated into the show. Redraft folk, I would say, if you're looking to, um, if you're kind of scrambling for counting stats at this point in time in, in your season, I think he'd be a good stash. He's a rookie, so I'm positive he's going to have some bumpy starts. He's probably going to hurt your ratios uh, as uh, a result of that. But I would still say he has the stuff as well as the the IQ, that sort of um, intangible, that pitchability, as they like to say, that I think he's going to be able to generate strikeouts for you. So the counting stats, he's going to be able to be plus. Uh, Ezekiel Duran made his major league debut on Saturday for the Rangers. He was part of the Gallo trade with the Yankees last year as New York was trying to clear out some of their prospects from their 40 man. Duran actually takes over as Josh Smith, who was another part of the same trade, uh, actually goes to the 10 day IR. Um, with Duran, he doesn't have a lot of loud tools as a prospect, but he can play multiple positions on the dirt. He has a good hit tool. He's shown some propensity for hitting doubles, especially. Uh, he has a little bit of speed. I wouldn't assume double-digit stolen bases for him at the major league level, but you know he might get you four or five, so just nice added bonus. He's a good glue guy, I think, especially if he does get the multi-position eligibility to play uh, second and short or short and third. He's a good guy to have on the bench that you can put in um, at different times during the week just uh, so you don't have any empty holes in the lineup. And uh, like I said, I think he's going to be a positive contributor. And with the Rangers trying to to rebuild, trying to uh, find talent at, at every possible position, I think he's going to get the um, playing time. Right. I, I know, obviously, they have a lot of money committed up the middle, but I think he will be there to to give a rest to Seager, definitely to Simeon as they're trying to kind of get Simeon going. So they may want to give him some off days just to clear his head. Uh, I mentioned being able to play third, which has really been a, a black hole for them as uh, Josh Young is obviously still out for the season. And they were kind of banking on him being um, the, the starting third baseman. So they're still trying to find somebody to play third base on a consistent basis. I think Duran will get some playing time there. So I think he'll get enough at bats to uh, give you a good idea or start to give you a good idea of what he can bring to the table. And again, if he can just grab that. Uh, eligibility for those multiple positions, depending on your your league rules, I think that adds just general value to his game, uh, like I said, as a bench bat. Uh, We also have the uh, Braves outfielder, Michael Harris III. He's continued to shine since he was called up on May 28th, kind of a surprise call up. Uh, He had been um, killing it, so, you know, not complete shock, but uh, I think coming from double A with no triple A experience, I don't necessarily know that um, we were all anticipating him to get called up uh, when he did, but he's been doing quite well. He's collected nine hits, including three doubles and three RBI in the eight games he's played thus far. Uh, really nothing more to say about Michael Harris. Um, if you're in a dynasty league, he most likely has been gone for some time. He shot up the uh, rankings and shot up uh, a lot of people's estimation last year with what he was doing. Um and this year it had continued, so I doubt that there's any sort of uh, easy or cheap availability for him in most leagues. Redraft folk, uh, same thing. I would say he probably, once he got caught up, he probably got snapped up by somebody. If you're in a league where he is still hanging out on the wire, he hasn't shown his power of speed yet, and I think it's just a matter of time. So that's really where I, I would see the, the benefit for you if you're in a redraft is him starting to steal bases 
and starting to hit home runs. I think he's on your short list. Maybe if you uh, don't want to be overly aggressive and clear a roster spot for him, then you just kind of put him on your short list in the redraft leagues. And as soon as you start to see him get hot with stolen bases and or home runs, that's when you go and, and grab him or start to commit some fab dollars to him. Um, but other than that, in, in the redraft, I think for right now, if you didn't already go and get him, and obviously, like I said, he's doing well, but not he's not incredibly hot, then I think you can kind of just wait and, and see what happens in the next couple of weeks with Michael Harris the third. But he's definitely going to get the playing time. Uh, this question was asked, and I can't remember whether it was in, I think it was in the pictureless uh, server. If not, it was in the, uh, one of our AMAs that we had on Reddit. But the question was kind of asked, how much playing time do you see uh, Harris getting uh, once he got called up? And I was thinking, my answer was, he's got to at least uh, get as much as Travis Demerit was getting, who was pretty much who he, he replaced. And Demerit was out there, seemed like at least three or four games out of the um, week uh, playing right field. So, you know, Harris is definitely a better uh, skills perspective as well as from just overall potential perspective as Demerit. So uh, to me, I would think that they're going to give him at least the same amount of burn. So there's definitely going to be the playing time boost that he's going to get, uh, whether you're in a redraft or in a dynasty. And then lastly, we have red starting pitcher Graham Ashcraft. He's coming off his best start yet in his brief major league career. Seven innings pitched, giving up one run on four hits, one walk, five Ks against Toronto. Ashcraft is another pitcher that I think should stick around um, in Cincinnati for a while. He may get bumped. I could see him. I, I guess there's a possibility he gets demoted. I, I think it's more likely that he gets bumped into the bullpen when Nick Lodolo makes his return from injury. But again, he's a guy that if you're in the dynasty league, he's probably already gone. Um, unless you're in kind of a small or weird um, league. If you're looking at him from a redraft standpoint, this is his third uh, game, his second start that he had, and he seems to be getting more and more comfortable. Um, being able to to hit his spots, give you those K's, go deeper into the game, um, which is that's huge, especially for a young pitcher because that shows some efficiency. Being able to be efficient with his pitches, generate those outs early and often, and getting into good pitchers' counts and not falling behind the hitter. So I think if you're in a redraft league again, that 14 team or larger, if he's still available. That's a guy that you might want to take a dart on. Um, maybe look at the bottom of your roster, especially the bottom of your um, uh, rotation or your, your pitchers, depending on if you have starters and relievers or if it's just all pitching spots. But look at maybe the, the worst guys that you have, and you might be able to, to make a cut for uh, a guy that at least has the pitching potential in Graham Ashcraft to, um, to maybe surprise you and help you out in the redraft league. So with our prospect rundown out of the way, I do want to run through how I've sort of myself started to try and, and evaluate players that are at that rookie ball level of the minors. Um, so Arizona and Florida complex leagues, as they're referred to now, and then Dominican Summer League. Uh, first and foremost, it's very similar to what you may have heard or read about the Arizona Fall League. I was mentioning that with Caleb Killian earlier. If you have read or heard anything about the Arizona Fall League, one of the big things that get stressed when it comes to prospects is the pitching talent is really um, quite poor. Command control isn't there. Um, stuff from pitcher to pitcher isn't necessarily as consistent. And it's very similar when it comes to the complex leagues in Dominican Summer League. So 
you know, you're looking at the general age group of being somewhere between 17 and 20 years old. So very young guys, um, 20 is probably going to be the oldest. And, and that's pretty old when you're talking about um, definitely. I would be surprised to see a lot of 20 year olds at Dominican um, summer league, but even with uh, the complex balls, 20 year olds, you're talking about um, those may be some older prep ball guys, but that's pretty much your age group, 17, 20 year olds, um, a lot of international signees, prep ball draftees that are going straight into um, that rookie league after they were uh, drafted, typically the year after they were drafted, um, depending on how many innings they may have logged uh, on their arm in college or in high school, I should say. Um, so command and control, like I was saying, is not going to be as good as you're going to see at uh, high A, for instance. The difference between low A and rookie ball, I think, uh Pitching-wise, maybe a little bit more negligible, but even still, low A is going to be just that much better. I mean, it really is stepping up level to level. So even low A is going to be just that much better than what you will see um, pitching-wise in rookie ball. So um, stat cast data is another thing that is pretty much non-existent uh, to the public. So you might hear you know, some whispers about some bad ball data that leak here and there, um, but it's not something that's anywhere close to consistent. So with all that being said, why are we doing an episode on it? Why should you even pay attention to uh, these rookie leagues? And I would say it's because it's a great place to notice some guys maybe a season or so before they start to catch helium. Um, And again, value is the name of the game. So even if they're not going to end up as major league players, catching them as they catch helium um, at the right time, they become really good assets to trade to get uh, other players and better players back for you if you can get a manager that really wants to buy in on, on their potential. So just being uh, slightly ahead of the curve, knowing uh, Ellie Dela Cruz or Jackson Churio, who we're hearing about now, um, a season or so ahead of your league mates, that could possibly give you an edge when it comes to just making straight pickups, but also in those trades. So that's kind of where uh, I'm coming from the context behind why I want to do a episode about kind of a top 10 of people to know. And with that, we'll take a quick break and come back with that top 10 of rookie and Dominican league prospects to know this season. Hey, Alex fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the pitcher list podcast network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL plus subscription where you're going to get an free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff plus you can hang out with our incredible pitcherless community it's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as eight dollars a month you can sign up at pitcherless.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show All right, we're back. Um, and again, just because of that pitching talent piece, uh, this is going to be a list that's all hitters. It is not really worth, um, I don't think, your time or my time, if I'm being really honest, to, to 
try to delve into pitchers at this level, um, those are guys that you can, I think, suss out. Once they hit low A, um, high A, et cetera, uh, just because it's going to be a lot of, um, you know, 18-year-olds that can throw a fastball and that's about it. Maybe they have a second pitch. It's just, uh, again, pitching we've talked about over and over again. It's just so fine in art and science that I, I needed to kind of set some filters and some parameters somewhere. So we're going hitters only with this list. And uh, some more context for hitters. This is just, this is not rules, but these are some things that I think can be helpful as far as indicators to look at when it comes to ability. Because again, you're not necessarily being able to turn on a rookie league uh, game to, to look and you're not getting a ton of video available to you. So you kind of have to do some some scouting from the stat line, which I know can be dangerous. But here are some things that I think can be helpful, at least for you to get an idea about a guy's ability. Um, first and foremost is going to be the K rate. And I think it might be uh, the most helpful uh, as far as a statistical indicator of uh, young guys uh, as far as a hitter, his ability, because. For me, I view it essentially as all of these stats, all these indicators I'm going to go through, it's all about creating a margin for error for me. So when we're talking about K rate, the lower that K rate is, for me, that creates a larger margin for error for that prospect as he rises up levels. Because you assume that the K rate is going to increase at each level because, again, that pitching talent is going to increase. The competition is going to get better. So as an example, if you have prospect X, and he has, say, like a 14% K rate at uh, rookie ball. For me, that means that once he gets to low A, even if his K rate increases 7 to 10%, it's still going to be pretty tolerable um, as far as uh, overall K rate because it's going to be sitting in that low to mid-20s, right? If it increases 10% once he hits low A, he's still sitting at 20, uh, 24%. Let's say it increases even more. Let's say it increases by... Uh, 12%. He's still at 26%, which at low A, that can still, depending on everything else that's a part of his game, right? Because we're looking at, this is just one number, but that can still be tolerable. You can still look at it and still have a pretty good risk tolerance to say, okay, the guy's, uh, you know, at low A, maybe he's 19 years old now, 18, 19 years old, maybe 20 if he's really on the older side, 26%. Okay, what else is going on? When a guy starts rookie ball, and he starts with having a 26, 27, 30%, 35% K rate, that is something that's worrying to me, even if he's hitting a fair amount of home runs, even if the scouting report says that he has a, you know, a lot of potential as far as um, his swing, his ability to generate love, to his bat speed, et cetera, because I get worried. I'm not saying that it, it, it's, it's a hard, fast rule, but I get worried because, again, if he's already starting at that high K rate, how is he going to get that under control when he starts to go up levels? When he starts to see pitchers that have more than one pitch that they can throw with any sort of consistency, right? Guys that have three pitches, guys that can throw instead of, because again, rookie ball. So you're talking about you might see a guy that can throw 96 and then you might see a guy that's throwing 90. It, it, it can vary that much. And you start getting into A ball, um, high A, double A, you're going to see, you know, pitchers that have consistently can throw 92, 93, 94, 
if not faster, had much better command as far as getting their spots, had, can throw you, you know, multiple different types of fastball, depending on being able to manipulate shape, breaking balls, sliders, curves, etc. Doesn't mean that a guy can't adjust. Doesn't mean that he can't develop and can't learn. But again, it's just margin for error. It just it makes it that much more difficult. And I'm looking for, again, I've talked about this before. I am not super risk tolerant to begin with. So I'm looking for a path of least resistance here, right? Like what's the easiest, quote unquote, way for him to get to success, at least to clear some some low hurdles here. So that's that's one indicator I look at is the K rate. And then conversely, I like to look at the walk rate. Uh, I like to see the walk rate, first of all, in double digits or as close to double digits as possible, nine, nine and a half, kind of bare minimum. Uh, and again, it's both for that same margin of error reasons because again walk rate is going to go down it's going to decrease as you get uh most likely as you start to go up levels but also because it tips me off a little bit to how mature that uh, player is in their plate approach uh currently because often what you see is a guy a young guy that has a more advanced bat to ball skills at that young age at that 15 16 17 year old age that you're going to see in rookie ball, in the uh, DSL, for that guy, it's tempting to swing at everything because you're making contact on them, right? It is, is, if you think about at the major league level, uh, the Luis Arez, is, uh, the Nick Madrigals, it, if they swing, they're putting back the ball. But the problem, obviously, is just because you can put it back the ball, it doesn't mean that you're making the best contact. So you may not see it in the K rate because they're not striking out. Just because they're swinging often, they're not necessarily striking out. They're making contact all over the place, but they're swinging at pitches that may not even be around the zone. And again, we talked about, I'm going to continue to reiterate, the arm talent isn't the greatest anyway. So if you have a guy that has shaky command, he's all over the zone and you're helping him out by swinging at pitches that are a couple inches off the plate, a couple inches high, a couple inches low, even, you know, something that's that almost hitting the dirt. And you're swinging because you know, hey, I can I can hit that technically doesn't mean that you're making the best contact. And so as a result, you could be generating out. So as a result, the K rate may not be bad because the player is able to make contact, even though he's swinging a lot. He's making contact that pitcher, so he's not striking out. But again, that that talent isn't necessarily at the at the highest level. So that player could be swinging at pitches that are a couple inches off the plate couple inches too high, um, really poor pitches that aren't even around the zone just because they can make contact. And as a result, the contact isn't as uh, great a quality as it could be. And instead of working counts and possibly drawing walks, they're making uh, maybe some more ground ball outs or fly ball outs than they need to, uh, which obviously just kind of takes away from their overall um, ability to, to reach their potential. So looking at that walk rate is a good uh, idea for me. And again, I know I'm not you know, telling anybody anything super uh, innovative, but it's a good indicator for me to take a look and see, you know, can a guy work count? Can a guy draw a walk? Um, even if he may be highly skilled at making contact uh, with with manipulating the, the barrel um, and getting through his own quickly, can he be a little bit more disciplined and wait for his pitch instead of just swinging at whatever's being offered? Um, and the next indicator that I like to keep in mind is slug percentage. Uh, it's a good snapshot for me of, of just whether this guy's tapping into any power. And that's 
going to be a big one. It's, it's going to be very difficult. It's not impossible. It's going to be very difficult um, for you to be on my radar if you're all hit with no power at all at this level, right? Because for me, a guy that, you know, maybe he's grading out at being, you know, 50, 55, maybe even 60 hit, um, but only, you know, 20 or 30, but not even 20, but, you know, 30, 35 at power. That means that you need to have some really interesting other tools going on. Um, so either maybe your defense is so stellar that, you know, you're definitely going to stick at a premium position. So that's going to give you more chances or your speed is such that because you can um, make such good contact and you have such a great hit tool, even though you don't have much power, that means you're going to be added value because you can move around the bases. That means you're um, creating runs that can be scored as well as stolen bases. It has to be something of that nature. Um, if not, I can just kind of wait and see if that hit tool is still going to be as great again at the next couple of levels. But if you're being able to get into your power, now that's a guy that it opens up the world again, margin for error, because now we're looking at a guy that can go deep along with being you know, a run generator to, to drive in runs along with how disciplined the hitter they are, like we were talking about previously with the walk and the K rate. So just being able to tap into power at all means that for me, it's a little bit easier for me to project where you might be going in the next couple of years. And also, quite honestly, it's going to be easier to convey that value to other managers when it comes to trades or any sort of discussions, because it's going to be hard, I think, for most managers um, to try to trade a guy that isn't showing any power at all. Uh, like I said, unless he has some tremendous secondary skills. So considering that the general age of these guys, uh, there's typically some physical projection that's left. So you want to know, you know, can a guy access his power now before he even starts to get into actual like pro baseball player shape, right? If a guy still has some pounds to put on, if he's still growing, you know, height wise, if he's getting to his power now, that's going to be a plus for when he's actually getting into that baseball shape as a 20, 22 year old. If he can do that now as a 17, 18 year old. Um, if he's struggling now, could it come later? Absolutely. Late bloomers happen um, all the time, especially when it comes to power. It could be a swing change. It could be, again, we talked about uh, just understanding your approach a little bit better to, to find the pitches that you can actually drive. All that can happen at a later time. Absolutely. But if it can happen now, it's that much more valuable. So um, even if it's pull side power, that's fine, too. It's, it's not really a surprise to see a young hitter you know, showing a lot of pull and not necessarily a lot of opposite uh, field approach early on. Again, 17, 18 year olds, you're talking about guys that are um, high school age. You know, if they're international signees, they would have been in high school. Um, if they are prep ballers, they've just finished up at high school. So if you watched any age group, whether it be high school, travel league, whatever, if you watch those guys play, it's not a whole lot of going the opposite way. Um, especially not with intent. It's a lot of, you know, it just happens that way. But, you know, if you get a guy middle in, they're, they're going to just turn on it. That's perfectly fine if, if they're showing a lot of pull to me. Um, when they get into double A, triple A, that's when you want to see, is this guy pull side only hitter or can he start to actually go the other way? So a real life example, when we talk about slug percentage, we talked about Jackson Churio or mentioned him. Um, he played, in DSL last season, he put up a slug percentage of 447. Now he's an A ball. 
um, making a name for himself and he's somebody that um, I know was was being talked about and popping up on some deep dynasty league discussions. Now he's doing very well in a ball as well. So again, it's a snapshot. It's one number. It's not a rule. It's just some some things to keep your eye on. Some some flags for you to be able to to have to easily kind of look through. And like I said, scout some guys that it's not easy to actually see a lot of real life video on. And um, the last indicator that I have is WRC plus, which I know isn't always looked at favorably. But um, again, 100 uh, represents that league average number. And so it is helpful to have a single number just to look at and see uh, against his peer group. How well is the prospect doing? Right. Anything above 100 means you're going that much above the league average. And then below is going to be below that league average. So being able to look and say, oh, this guy has a 143 WRC plus, that's helpful. It's not the end all be all. You still want to dig in and figure out um, how he's getting to that number. But it's much helpful to see that from a 17, 18 year old than to see that guy's putting up 86 WRC plus against his peers. Um, That's not really somebody that I'm interested in as a 17 year old. I'll take another look when they're 20 and see if maybe some things have changed and they've grown and gotten better. But uh, again, the whole purpose here is these are people that I want to be out in front of, that I want to have on my short list for ads that I might want to start thinking about as those last throw-ins as part of any sort of large package deals to have on my um, roster. I don't necessarily want to be going after guys that I, I'm going to be picking up and dropping and picking up and dropping over the next couple of years before they even really get into the bulk of their um, pro career at you know high A, low A, etc. So with all that being said, let's get into the list. And our first player uh, on this list is shortstop for the Atlanta Braves, uh, 18-year-old from San Cristobal, Dominican Republic. And that is uh, Ambioris Tavares. Tavares is uh, a result of the 2017 scandal with the Braves. Tavares was the Braves' 2021 J2 international signee after that scandal. And that uh, scandal is the one that saw them stripped of 12 of their prospects, including former top prospect Kevin Maiton, um, as well as the banning of former GM John Capoletta from Major League Baseball for life. And um, they were off their national stage, obviously, for those uh, four years or so in, in 2021 with a very reduced uh, signing pool. They put the, the bulk of it towards signing Tavares. And Tavares is actually a great example of kind of all the things I was talking about prior when it comes to guys that you want to highlight versus guys that you can kind of pass on until they get older. But there's definitely the risk of sort of vaporware with Tavares. There's not a lot of scouting available on him. Um, he, you know, has a couple of blurbs, uh, here and there, a little bit of video that you can find. Um, I think from baseball America, uh, Ben Baller's, uh, list from 2021 had some video that went along with it, but you know, Tavares is that type of guy that you might see a blurb or two, might sound kind of interesting, but then you try to go down that rabbit hole to research him, and you're not left with much. Uh, like I said, in 20, uh, 2020, 2021, because of course that was kind of like a combined um, pool. Uh, Baseball America had him ranked number 25 on their international prospect list. Uh, their report uh, from Ben Baller did note uh, that he had very strong arm from 
uh, the shortstop position. He still has some physical projection left. And again, this is a perfect example. I found him listed somewhere between six feet and six two, somewhere between one sixty eight and one seventy five. So who knows where he actually stands right now? Uh, so I, I want to kick the list off with kind of a, a great example of this is a guy that could be somebody, could be nobody, could fall in between. But so you don't have to necessarily go out of your way to grab him. But he is somebody that now that he should be coming stateside, we can start to see him actually in some video um, taking competitive at bats instead of just seeing sort of batting practice uh, videos on, on on the dirt fields. And you may even start to get some some uh, exit velocity data that leaks out here and there um, as, as scouts and evaluators talk. Uh, Ambiores Tavares is a guy that I would have on my long list, but he could very quickly get to the short list of, I, I want to add this guy. And, and one other person that's kind of in the similar zone, but I think is worth highlighting, and that's why I have him on the list, is uh, Braylon Valera. He's an outfielder for the Orioles. He just recently signed in this past international period. He's a 16-year-old from the Dominican Republic. And he's on this list also because he's kind of one of the faces of the Orioles' new commitment to building an actual international pipeline. And if you don't know, it's been about a decade that the Orioles kind of just ignored the international talent pool altogether, didn't commit much money, if any, at all, under uh, the previous GM, Dan Duquette. But now you have Mike Elias and, and company. Uh, they've literally kind of dug in uh, in the Dominican Republic. They built a 22-and-a-half-acre complex that's set to be their regional um, sort of hub for player development operations throughout the, the entire area. So the Caribbean, Central and South America. So it's with this renewed enthusiasm that Baltimore then goes and signs Valera among um, several different international prospects this past January uh, 15th period. And they made Valera the highest paid international signee in franchise history with a $1.7 million bonus. So with all that being said, what's up with this kid? Um, so far, again, it's not a lot, um, a little bit more than Tavares, but still not a ton. Uh, what you can find it highlights he does have an above average approach at the plate, um, a little bit more mature than what you would expect from a 16, 17 year old. And he does have solid defensive skills in the outfield. So um, it looks like he should be able to stick for a while in the outfield, um, specifically in center, not necessarily having to get moved to the corners, which course that increases value overall um and i don't think it's any surprise that he's going to begin his uh career with one of the um two dso teams at the orioles field uh this season um for me valera is a name that i want to listen out for or or kind of keep my eyes peeled when i'm looking at interviews with elias or with um, baltimore's director of international scouting kobe perez who, who does a good bit of press um, this offseason. So in the offseason, when they're doing sort of recaps, when they're talking about different players, um, I want to see if they mention Valera. For me, that tends to be a good early indicator of how a team actually values a prospect like that. They committed the money to him. Uh, so they went out of their way to say, you know, we want you here, obviously. Um, and that's, you know, 1.7 is nothing sneeze at from the Orioles. Again, considering that they spent 10 years not committing much of anything to anybody internationally. 
So, you know, are they talking him up? I like that in the offseason versus the run-up or right after they sign him. Because right after they, right after a team, I should say, signs, whether it be a draft pick or, in this case, um, international signings especially, you tend to see a lot of big talk, a lot of sort of grandiose comparisons to other players in the pipeline or other players um, at a high level in the major leagues already. And to me, it's like, well, you just paid the money to him. Of course, you're going to say great things. And also, you kind of have to make sure you're not getting snowed um, because, you know, if you're a GM, why not talk about how great this guy is? And then maybe secretly you're thinking, maybe I can get another team to to bite on trading for Valera, you know, in, in real life. Um, you know, real life GMs are very similar to Dynasty and fantasy GMs in that sense of, hey, I'll, I'll talk a guy up just to see if somebody else is even more interested and willing to commit a little bit more. So I try to kind of uh, separate the wheat from the chaff, the signal from the noise, so to speak. But in the offseason, when they're doing these sort of recaps and, and um, breakdowns of how seasons have gone, I find that tends to have some rich information. So I'd be interested to hear what... Um, the brass in Baltimore, you know, talks about with Valera after the season is done. Uh, I'll keep an eye out, you know, for the beat writers and the like uh, that cover the Orioles um, to see if they, you know, if they're getting any sort of hints or any tidbits from people in the front office about how they really feel about Valera. With that, let's actually move away from the super speculative into some guys that actually I think are really worth your attention and, and, specifically people that are going to be making their stateside debut. Uh, first is Christian Hernandez, who's, again, shortstop this time for the Cubs. You should see the pattern by now that um, pretty much everybody, well, not pretty much everybody that's on this list is going to be playing up the middle, out of short or, or center field. They're going to be tagged at, and that's where the best athletes go, especially at this um, age range. So uh, that's, that's a feature, not a bug of this list. And with Hernandez, he's 18 years old now. He's already logged a season um, of pro ball in the DSL last year. He was the number one overall prospect for that 2020-2021 um, sort of combined uh, international class. And he's been in or around uh, quite a few top 100 uh, prospect rankings that I've seen. And with Hernandez, he's listed at 6'2", 165 is what I found for the listing. Uh, I think he obviously has a lot of physical projection left, but it seems that he should be able to stick at um, short unless, I think, unless he has a real growth spurt, that, that's probably the thing that can move him off. With Hernandez, so far, he's been working out in extended spring training in Arizona uh, for the Cubs. So that's why I think it's pretty easy and safe to assume that he'll be staying state, uh, stateside and playing in uh, the Arizona Complex League for the Cubs uh, uh, affiliate or their team that they put together. So for Hernandez, it's really just a matter of getting another, you know, 40 some odd games or so of competitive baseball under his belt uh, and really seeing if any of his uh, success in the DSL carries over. Um, in the DSL, he had 20% K rate, 16% walk rate, 424 slugging. So if he's able to um, bring that similar skill set and approach, uh, with him in Arizona and continue to have success, then I think that's really what you're looking for with 
Hernandez, uh, and, and quite honestly, I think he could be a fast mover if you look at what the Cubs minor league system is looking like with Pico Armstrong, with um, Owen Casey, with uh, Nelson Velasquez getting called up. So now he's actually um, has made his major league debut. Um, I know Brennan Davis uh, is injured now, but uh, obviously Brennan Davis was uh, high ranking as well. He was flying up the charts uh, from last year. So they have quite a few um, people. Kevin Made is, a, is another uh, middle infielder that they have at the lower levels. So I think the Cubs, even though at the major league level, it's not a full on rebuild yet. I think in the minor leagues, they're fine with moving people along while producing well. So I think Hernandez could find himself kind of fast tracked if he shows up well in Arizona. I could see him um, possibly even logging some at bats in low A by the time the season ends. And another NL Central uh, shortstop prospect is Carlos Jorge of the Cincinnati Reds. Jorge started to jump on some deep dynasty radars last year with his performance in the Dominican Summer League. And I think his stock sort of drafted off of the surprise arrival of Ellie Dela Cruz. Um, I think the fact that Dela Cruz really surprised so many people um, and drew some more eyes to the Reds organization than what had been paying attention. I think he really, uh, Jorge really benefited from that as well, where people were saying, you know, who's going to be the next guy. And um, Jorge is another player who should be making his stateside debut. He's more of a smaller, fast twitch type player. Uh, and so I think he might be limited in some of that over the fence power that I mentioned uh, at the top of the podcast that I like to see, but he has shown some early ability to drive the ball line to line last season. He put up an almost equal pull percentage and opposite field percentage on batted balls. So he is able to spray the ball around, which again, those secondary skills, that's nice to see. Um, he's someone I'm actually excited to hear some more about and seeing some more video. The bit that I've seen, he looks like he could be kind of similar to uh, Adiel Amador of the Rockies, who's having a really productive season currently in low A. There's some similarities that I'm seeing in their swing, and they both are shorter guys that can play a, a good defensive shortstop so far at young age, and they've shown some plus speed as well for Jorge. I think that's going to really help him out, um, being able to turn some singles into doubles uh, as he's hitting the ball around. Um, so again, even though he may not necessarily have uh, major home run power, I think he still has the ability to drive the ball and with that speed that will put um, some more onus on, on the defense and kind of bring his value up as well. Going to New York uh, Yankees organization, you have the $4 million teenager, Roderick Arias, who signed this past period. Um, he was the number one overall international prospect in this class. And while he wasn't met with the same fanfare as Jason Dominguez, he does have his fair share of hype, especially uh, being a Yankee prospect. Uh, it does seem scouts are impressed by his switch hitting ability at such a young age. And that's always difficult um, overall to do and definitely difficult to see a young guy maintain that uh, evenly or equally on both sides of the plate, um, uh, especially at a young age. And he definitely looks to be um, a plus defender at short based on the evaluations that, that you're able to read. So that's definitely going to help him. 
I, I think for Arias, it's, he's 16 to 17 years old, so he's extremely young. Um, obviously, uh, he will be in the Dominican League. And I think, um, you know, for him, it's really going to be about what happens when he comes stateside. We've already seen with Jason Dominguez. I think it was just it kind of seemed inevitable that the hype uh, was always going to be way more than what the player was going to be able to bring to the stage. Uh, I think Dominguez is still going through quite a bit of a uh, learning curve. I think hopefully for Ares, his curve isn't as steep because his hype isn't as big. Uh, so it's just going to be nice to see him get things started in his pro career um, this this summer. Uh, our next player is Samuel Zavala, who's an outfielder for the Padres. And Zavala, for me, he's kind of similar to Jorge in that he started to creep up into top 250, top 300 prospect rankings, um, definitely into some deep league discussions that I saw uh, as far as being a guy that um, was, you know, kind of stealthily somebody that you might want to pick up uh, as the last guy on your roster or just, again, kind of pay attention to. He was 16 years old playing in the Dominican Summer League. He hit three home runs and had 16 doubles. So already at a very young age, showing uh, the ability to produce. And I think there's still some physical projection left on him. He's listed at 6'1", um, but the videos that I've seen looks like he might be a, a little bit taller. So I think he, he still has a build that can fill out there. Mechanically, he does look very sound. Uh, he gets into his load very well, keeps his balance uh, from the left-hand side. Uh, he's able to create power uh, with his bat path without lengthening his swing. So that's going to be very helpful. So I do think Zavala could be a sneaky, good speculative ad, uh, especially if he gets off to a hot start in the Arizona Complex League. He could be a guy, if you're in a deep league and he's still available, guy that you want to add on in in that minor league spot just to kind of see um, what happens. Because, you know, if he's able to move quickly, you're talking about, and again, I'm getting way ahead of things, but you're talking about a guy that could be – you know, cracking top 150, maybe even knocking on top 100 list uh, in a couple of seasons. And he's not, he wouldn't even be 20 years old fully yet. So um, again, that's the type of guy you want to be out ahead of. And if you're not that risk averse, if you don't want to go that far, completely understand. But I would say just kind of keep his name circled, keep, keep an eye on how he does in Arizona because he's another person I think just kind of fits the mold of a guy that can move quickly through a team system. And that guy is always going to build some value for you in a league. Our next player, I have to admit, I'm fully biased on. So everything I say from here on out, I'm fully fine with you taking with a grain of salt because of my bias, but that's Gabriel Gonzalez, uh, outfielder for Seattle Mariners. If you heard me talk with Nick Richards, you know that I have a prospect type. Gonzalez kind of fits that uh, almost exactly to a T. He's an outfielder, has potential for plus power and hit. Um, he has really good instincts that he could stay in center field. Uh, he has the arm to play in right field, and uh, he's not as rangy as you see most of those types of prospects because he is under six feet, and I think there are some um, early questions about if he fills out uh, maybe his foot speed slows down enough that you have to move him from center into right. Um, but he has gotten rave reviews in most of the scouting that you're able to find regarding his power, regarding his bat speed. 
Um, if we look at those key indicators that we talked about from his DSL season, 16% K rate, had a 9.5% walk rate, so a little bit under the double digit that I talked about. But the slugging percentage is 521, and that was seven home runs and 15 doubles. So again, um, I'm kind of willing to let the walk rate be a little bit under what I typically like if I'm seeing that sort of early power from a guy who's not even 18 years old yet. So playing stateside is going to be a really good next test for his skill set. I definitely think he's a guy that could get into that top 150 realm uh, of list going into next season if he has a really good uh, complex league season. So if he has a good season stateside and he shows uh, continues to show that that power, and especially if he continues to show an ability to stick in center, definitely a guy that I think in the offseason you start to hear more and more positive uh, talk about. And we got three players left. The first is Junior Caminero, uh, now with Tampa Bay Rays at shortstop. He's a bit of an odd duck because he was signed as a shortstop by Cleveland. Um, he actually seems to be profiling maybe towards third already at just uh, 18 years old. And I think that's just because of his physical projection, because of his size, um, height, but also just his musculature. Uh, He might get pushed um, over to third. And again, with Tampa, it's always hard to tell where guys are really going to end up or if they're going to end up with just one spot at all. Um, He was straight to Tampa for Tobias Myers. And um, as I was kind of indicating, Tampa has yet another glut of similarly Position players throughout their system, a lot of middle infield, left side of the infield types all throughout from rookie ball on up. And with Caminero specifically, what you're looking at is big power. He's got a leg kick, uh, kind of a steep swing. He's able to generate some loft. He hit nine home runs last season in 43 games in the DSL. For me, his next big hurdle is going to be his approach. Um, he's a major pull hitter, which we talked about, not necessarily uh, uncommon, not necessarily a bad thing, but you do want to start to see an adjustment um, as early, the earlier, the better, because you could see um, a, a player like Caminero get exploited down in the way with pitches to neutralize that bat speed and that power. And he does have below average speed. So ground balls to the left uh, side of the infield could start to kind of become a, a problem as far as, you know, kind of being an automatic out for him. If he's uh, rolling over on a lot of pitches, it's also that that below average speed, I think, is another reason why um, he get moved off a shortstop kind of earlier than what you typically see for guys, because I don't really think he has that range um, that that's going to be needed to be a higher level shortstop. So uh, I believe he's going to be playing stateside. I hadn't seen definitively for Caminero. So who uh, if he is playing stateside? stateside who have an even better or even more robust, I should say, environment to develop his skills so we can kind of get a better idea of, of what he's bringing to the table. Um, our next is another shortstop. This is Manuel Beltre um, for the Blue Jays. He was signed in 2021 for two and a half million dollars. He had a solid um, but not necessarily overly impressive season last year in DSL. The batting average is is really where I want to start this um, because it was surprisingly low. It was 225. But regardless of that, what was even more alarming as I looked at the numbers was the BABIP 
was also quite low. It was 258. And typically in rookie ball, the defense is, is like the pitching. It's not nearly as advanced. Um, you don't have guys able to make the same types of plays when balls in play. So you actually tend to see, um, kind of regardless of a, a player's actual potential, you tend to see a lot of unsustainably high backers because you have a lot more balls that are finding quote-unquote holes um, because you have defenders that just have, again, less range, less arm strength, uh, less of the instincts in outfield to, to get good breaks on the ball or to make to make plays in the outfield. So a lot of those balls tend to drop in, tend to find holes. Uh, so you see the Babbitt really go up. Seeing such a low Babbitt with that context, it's not that, to me, that Beltre is unlucky. That's typically what we would say if he was at double A or at major level. You see a guy with a Babbitt that low, you know the defense is really good, but they can't be that good. So you think, the guy's unlucky, right? Maybe he's, he's smacking balls, but they're just going right at the defender, right? Um, I don't think that's the case when it comes to rookie ball, right? Guy, or Dominican Summer League uh, in, in Belche's, um case. Guys just aren't that good. Again, they're not going to be positioned that well. They're not going to be able to make those same type of plays. So it makes me think that he's actually just making really poor contact when he put balls in play. And when we take another um, step further, we look at his uh, infield fly ball percentage, which essentially is measuring pop-ups. And that percentage was 30%. And pop-ups uh, is value-wise that the sort of um, testing on this shows that pop-ups are essentially uh, equivalent to strikeouts as far as being outs almost every time they're hit, right? They're almost automatic. And 47 of Beltre's balls in play were fly balls. And out of those 47% fly balls, again, 30% of those were pop-ups. So 30% of those balls he hit in the air didn't even leave the infield. Only 17% of those balls left the infield. And again, we're talking about a numbers game. We're talking about giving yourself the widest margin of error. It's really difficult to see a guy with a path towards doing damage towards uh, pitching if only 17% of his fly balls even get to the outfield because how many of those are going to be with the launch angle and exit velocity for those to actually be hits, right? For those not to be lazy fly balls, um, you know, cans of corn, et cetera. So it just, it narrows that ability for him to succeed. And obviously Beltre is very young, so you could completely see this data shift um, after this season or even a season later. He's already stateside. He's playing an extended spring training game, so he should be ready to play in Florida Complex League games. Uh, but for Beltre, I know he's somebody that uh, a good few people really were excited about coming out of that 2021 um, international signing period. He might be, depending on the season, he might be somebody that uh, you want to just kind of sit down and, and wait till he gets a bit older and return back to. So we'll, we'll see, you know, does he do a 180 or is it still kind of more the same at this early part of his career? The last name that we have on our list is the number two overall international prospect from this most recent international class. So right after Roderick Arias was Christian uh, Vaquero for Washington Nationals. He's an outfielder. Um, he's a natural left-handed hitter, but he did pick up switch hitting. So he bats from both sides of the plate now. Um, and I think the question for him is, 
is that switch hitting going to be more helpful than hindrance to his overall hit tool? Um, something that can happen is I was highlighting switch hitting with areas as well is, you know, mechanically swings tend to be different for switch hitters, right? Everything is flipped, reversed. And when it's not your natural side, um, especially uh, talking about a natural left-handed hitter, who's now going to be hitting uh, both lefty and righty and that right-handed swing, you're probably not going to be able to um, try it out as often um, because, you know, the, the uh, platoon advantages of lefty versus righty versus, you know, righty versus lefty, that, that sort of um, scenario is just, is he going to get enough uh, opportunity, whether it be competitive at bats or just in practice to develop a, a swing that works on both sides of the plate? Or would he actually be better off just sticking with the natural left hand? It would be a question for us to see. Uh, he has been highlighted for his above average speed for size. So he's just at 6'3", and there's definitely projection left in that frame if you've seen any sort of picture, pictures or video of him. So he's a guy that moves well already. And if he continues to grow and, and still even have average speed, I think that that's a plus. And, you know, his nickname is The Phenomena, and he's in the same organization as Juan Soto. So there's going to be a good bit of hype surrounding him, right? He's number two all overall um, prospect uh, in that international signee pool. Uh, I believe the Nationals committed, I want to say, about $4.5 million to him, somewhere around that number. So, and this is the second year in a row that they committed a good portion of money towards the international signees. Uh, they spent, I think it was like 3.9 or so with Yasel and Tuna the, the period before. Um, so, you know, you want to start to see the return on, on that investment. Uh, I, my hope is that they don't rush him because again, he is so young. Uh, and they, they don't make any sort of, uh, they don't allow any sort of odd comparisons between him and Soto to, to linger or to interfere with his development. Um, I'm just really curious to see, like I said, that switch hitting approach, what happens there, or if it's just kind of obvious that he, he should stick to being a left-handed hitter. So that's the list. Um, and again, as usual, we'll have all the names in the show notes, uh, Moving forward, I don't have any immediately new um, articles to publish. It's, it, we're still moving through uh, minor league player of the week. Uh, I did have uh, a break from the minor league farm system power rankings uh, as there wasn't really going into the Memorial Day weekend. There really wasn't any difference with that short week. Um, there really wasn't any major changes, but now we have some call-ups and some other things that could spur some uh, movement. So those are the two major articles that you'll see me on. Um, as always, uh, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of picture list for you to find, listen and subscribe. Again, you can find me on Twitter at inside fastball, capital I capital F feel free to shoot me some questions there. Um, for me to take on air and uh, and answer for you. Um, I've also been popping into our picture list uh, AMAs hosted by Scott Shue on Fridays. So you'll see me as uh, Inside Fastball. That's all lowercase. You'll see me as Inside Fastball answering uh, mostly Dynasty and Prospect-related questions that you guys post in AMAs. Uh, with that said, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.